Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hi, Connor. Hi, Brittany. So as we continue to deal with the uncertainty of war, I'm almost like sick of talking about it, but it is all anybody's talking about. And I think it's really important for us to talk about it and to look at history and learn from our mistakes of the past. And sometimes I think we can actually take some lessons of things that were done. I don't want to say well, because I don't think anything in war is done well, but done better than things have been done, maybe even in our, our very near history. So there's a lot of fear over nuclear weapons right now, which I said correctly for the first time ever. I say nuclear and it drives people nuts. I believe the correct pronunciation is nuclear, right? <laughs> nuclear. I, say, I say nuclear. I say nuclear too until somebody like it. a professor is like, it's nuclear. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, however you say it. So nuclear weapons are weapons that do a lot of damage at one time. You know, we heard them called weapons of mass destruction at one point because that is exactly what they are. They do a lot of uh, destruction. But the crazy part about them is the damage can actually last long after the bombing stops. So when we dropped the bombs in uh, Japan, there was lasting damage. We did a lot of damage there that people were still paying for. I believe, was it babies were even born with some defects because these these are heavy duty weapons. So this is not this is not a good thing. Um, and in 1962, you know, many nations were now starting to acquire nuclear weapons, and it was during the Cold War, meaning a war that isn't a hot war. Hot war meaning that there was no active battle. There were no real shots being fired, even though there were a few instances, and and we'll get to that. But it was kind of like what I call poking the bear. So every, you know, there was the communists on one side and then kind of capitalists on the other side. And they were just poking each other and prodding each other to see who was going to, you know, it was like a game of chicken, who was going to start the war first. So the Soviet Union, uh, which is now, it's less, comp it's to say it's Russia now, there's more to it. But for, for all intents and purposes, the Soviet Union is now what we call Russia. So Russia and the United States were a big part of the Cold War. And, you know, one of them represented this this communist collectivist kind of society. And the other, I always like to say, was more individualistic and capitalist because we all know that America is not far from, is far from perfect. So right. basically, the United States was placing what was called ballistic missiles, which, which were, you know, weapons, these weapons of mass destruction in uh, European countries. But they were facing the USSR, the Soviet Union. So the USSR responded, oh, the Soviet Union, um, by agreeing to put missiles in Cuba. Now, Cuba had asked for this, and at first they were on the fence about it, but then there was an incident, which I'm going to make uh, Connor discuss in a minute, that kind of changed things. So basically, if you guys have ever seen the meme with Spider-Man, like all the different Spider-Men pointing their fingers at each other, mm -hmm. that's what was basically happening. So all these, these different countries, Russia and America, were putting these different weapons in other countries, all pointing at each other, basically saying, if you make a move, we will completely destroy you. That doesn't sound great. <laughs> it wasn't great. <laughs> it, uh, and this went on for a, a while too, but it really kind of escalated. I mean, I, I recall watching like footage and, and uh, listening to radio uh, news reports about this. Like people were terrified. And up until this point, the, the Cold War, as it was called, had not been hot, right? In other words, there weren't active, you know, missiles flying and bombs being dropped and people dying. It was a lot of kind of diplomatic or, or kind of relationship. Uh, people were opposing things and doing things and saying things, but, you know, people weren't actually dying. And so 
that's where kind of the Bay of, of Pigs incident comes in. The CIA, which is like the the spies and the American government, the Central in- Intelligence Agency. And you can't see me, but I'm putting intelligence with air <laughs> because the more you learn about the CIA, the more you question their intelligence. But um, but the CIA came to the president at the time, who was John F. Kennedy. And before he became president, the CIA had come up with this plan where they would take all these Cuban exiles, these people who were from Cuba but had left, and they would train them. I think it was about 1,400 of them. They would train them on on invading their homeland. They wanted them to go fight Fidel Castro, who had come to power, uh, I think, like one year prior, maybe two, uh, by overthrowing the previous dictator, Fulgencio Batista. So now we have Fidel Castro in charge. And the CIA says, we want to train all these Cuban people to go invade Cuba and to be able to help overthrow um, Fidel Castro. And so they were trained and and by the U.S. military and uh, JFK authorized the invasion plan. But he wanted to disguise the support from the Americans. He didn't want Cuba to really know that um, that it was the Americans who were doing any, uh, doing anything. And so they chose this place, this Bay of Pigs, because it was this swampy area where they were hoping that a landing of all these people at night, you know, might not encounter a lot of soldiers. They hoped that that uh, the darkness and the remoteness of the location would hide U.S. involvement. Um, but one of the problems is that location left them, I think it was like 75 or 80 miles away from any help if anything went wrong. Well, things did go wrong. There were going to be two strikes against these Cuban air bases, and then the 1,400 people would go under the, the darkness of night. And so they, what they did is they took these big bomber planes from World War II. So these are like decades old, these old planes. And they painted them to look like Cuban Air Force planes. So they wanted the the cubans to think that these were cuban planes and and it didn't really work that well and you know news started to break of these attacks pretty soon everyone you know locally knew that it was the u.s planes and this revealed that the americans were supporting the the invasion so they actually canceled the second strike well the cubans were now ready for the invasion at the bay of pigs when all these exiles trained by the united states showed up yeah, and that's so the funny this, part. Trained by, <laughs> trained by us. <laughs> yeah, and and so there was this big battle. I think Fidel Castro sent something like twenty thousand troops to the beach, and and the air force in Cuba shot down all these planes, and, and like it was just it was bad, and it did not go well. And so some of them, uh, the exile folks, they escaped to the sea, but most of them were rounded up. They were imprisoned by Fidel Castro. It uh, like for I think almost two years that they were imprisoned. Uh, about a hundred of them were killed as, as part of this whole thing. And so during all of this controversy, right, these, this over a thousand people are in captivity by the Cuban government. And so the United States tried to negotiate a deal with Fidel Castro. And eventually they settled on like $50 million worth of baby food and medicine in exchange for the prisoners. Cause this communist country, like any communist country, the, their economy is just in shambles, right? People can't get what they need. And so, Ultimately, they traded for medicine and baby food in exchange for letting all these prisoners go. And that ended the Bay of Pigs uh, crisis, which is, is kind of concluded right after the, the Cuban Missile Crisis did. The, the, the missile crisis, I mean, man, this was when like people were really scared because they were so nervous about these missiles being fired from nearby Cuba into, into the United States. It felt like you know the whole world was going to end. I mean, people were talking about World War III and apocalypse and all these things. Everyone was on edge. 
And so after these negotiations, which again, all these prisoners from the Bay of Pigs were still in prison at this time, they finally reached a, a, a deal, an agreement between President John F. Kennedy and Khrushchev, who was the leader of the USSR in basically what we now call Russia. And so, you know, they would, uh, as part of this, remove the nuclear missiles from Cuba, right? And then the Americans would remove nuclear missiles from Turkey and Italy, which was, you know, nearby uh, the Soviet Union and able to attack them. Um, the agreement was that the United States would never invade Cuba without, you know, direct provocation. And uh, they, I think they even created what they called a nuclear hotline between the United States and the Soviet Union so that there was kind of direct communication. Because if, if any one of these countries fired off a, a nuclear missile, right, like then the other would retaliate and it would just, you know, all of a sudden, yeah. like you've got mass apocalypse. And so they established this communication. And, and I think it's fair to say we got pretty close, but we yes. avoided a nuclear war. And so everyone was super tense. And, and that was kind of the all things Cuba. In fact, if you listen to the podcast, and if you remember the episode that Brittany and Emma did together as part of this was Operation Northwoods, when a lot of the public in America did not support going to war in Cuba. There was not a lot of uh, support for doing that. And so the the Joint Chiefs of Staff, these are the guys in charge of the whole military, they proposed to John F. Kennedy, the same president we've been talking about, that they would go kill Americans and they would pretend that it was Cubans that did it because they wanted to upset Americans enough to get them to change their views so that they would then support going to war against Cuba. So we talked about that in a past episode. A couple episodes ago, we talked about propaganda, right? These are the things where the government is trying to manipulate us. And it happened in Cuba that even though we came close to nuclear war, the, the government was having to manipulate people and, uh, and literally proposed killing Americans, which I find just horribly disgusting from people who have sworn an oath to uphold the constitution and protect people. But this shows you the lengths to which they were willing to go in that time to try and do what they thought, right? That quote of the ends justify the means. Their ends were, oh, we got to do whatever it takes to stop these missiles in Cuba. So if that means killing Americans and lying about it and doing all this propaganda, then that's, you know, what we got to do. But I mean, that's what dictators throughout history have always done. They always claim that they have these important goals and, okay, if that means we got to round up the Jews, then, you know, like it's ridiculous when people are willing to set aside what's right and what's true, right, in order to get what they want. And so that's what happened in Cuba. I think it's fair to say some of that's probably happening today too. Yeah, it's it's very scary. And, you know, I think one thing that like you you put it out, you know, we got really close, but but we didn't quite get there. And that's what I want to talk about now. So there's a lot of reasons to be critical of JFK, because I believe the Bay of Pigs did happen under his watch. Um, I could get into a whole JFK CIA thing, but I will not. Uh -huh. I digress. Um, but he also did some good things, uh, some good things economically. Uh, but again, that's a topic for today. So he did some good things here. And that is that he he used restraint instead of jumping right into aggressive acts of war. And I'm not saying that there weren't things that were bordering on that, right? Just putting the weapons in, in Turkey and Italy where you put them, uh, that, 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 was, that was pretty aggressive. But he didn't order, you know, airstrikes and there wasn't combat going on, which unfortunately so many presidents don't even think twice before doing, especially in something as tense as, you know, a nuclear war. So he brokered a deal with an aggressive communist country without, you know, guns being fired in actual combat. And we don't see that often. And that's something I think is very interesting because nowadays it's like, we just want to use our force and we just want to, we crave war. And I say, we, not us, the government craves war. And so that is one thing I always kind of admired about Kennedy. And again, there's, there's a lot to criticize, but 
even the Vietnam War, he was very hesitant. I didn't didn't think we should be there. And again, there's a lot of conspiracies on on that end too. But so so I do think that is worth you know credit where credit is due. I also want to mention one more thing that's interesting about nuclear weapons and why it's it's almost and this is something that ties into today. Now, obviously, they're very scary, but with all the countries having them, there is this thing called you know mutually assured destruction. Mm-hmm. is what they call it and it's an interesting theory because let's say Russia were to you know to to bomb us with a nuclear weapon we would retaliate because it wouldn't take out all of the United States at once right we would retaliate and then everybody dies and it's like maybe there is a leader that crazy enough to do that i really hope not but if one goes off the whole you know then everybody goes down and so there is this what mutually assured destruction means is that if we all have these, it's kind of like the, what's the gun quote? Uh, an armed society is a polite society. Right, right. It kind of goes along with that, where we have to use restraint because we're all mutually assured that we are going to be destroyed right. if we if we don't. So it's, I always thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Um, I think JFK is criticized, as you point out rightly, for a lot of things. But but yeah, when when was uh, the last time that we saw a president like, you know issuing restraint like this. I mean, I think Trump did in some cases, but he also dropped the mother of all bombs, you know, and and had his own kind of aggressions and things like this. It, it's really interesting because I think there's some comparisons between what was happening in America during the Cuban, Cuban Missile Crisis and what's happening with the Russia-Ukraine stuff. There's a lot of concerns about Russia and the nukes that they control and World War III breaking out and all these things. And so I think it's instructive us for us to learn a little bit about history, to understand what was happening uh, in Cuba and recognize that some of those same issues are happening today. So what can we learn from the past? If we learn a little bit more about how the government behaved at that time, what the American public thought and how their opinions were shaped by the media or by these kind of propaganda efforts like Operation Northwoods, it makes me, I think, pause a little bit to think about what's happening in our day, right? We, we know about that quote, those who don't learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. And I think it's important too that we think about um, why or rather what we can learn from the past in this instance so that we don't have to repeat going through similar controversies in our day. It is obviously great that we avoided nuclear war. It is great that there was that de-escalation, right? So rather than escalating the conflict and things building and getting worse, we kind of were able to you know, clamp it down and, and restrain things and, and not have that happen. Uh, but learning about you know the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis, it makes you really understand, I think, a little bit more what's happening in our day. Obviously, the circumstances are different. We're not saying they're the same or even super similar, but it's it's kind of the the pattern that we start to see. It's the approach that people take. It's the attitudes of the ends justify the means, right? That, oh, well, we don't want World War III, therefore we're going to do all these corrupt things. Well, it's like, well, wait a minute. Then all we're left when we don't get World War III is just all the corrupt things. <laughs> like, it's good that we don't have World War III, but that's not to say it would have happened anyways, right? But now we have all this corruption in our government because you felt justified in doing it. So lessons learned, hopefully, as we do more homework, as you guys look into this a little bit more, learn about that. Think about what you can learn from the past so that we can help prevent those mistakes from happening in our day. Thanks for being subscribed. Brittany, until next time, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.